0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycon's,
0: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson and this is episode 87 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast with a new episode released every single day. You get an extended interview like this one every Monday and short four or five minute daily episodes Tuesday through Sunday on a show that I call This Day Rocks. Loads of classic rock content for classic rock fans. Now, if this is your first time listening, then please find Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app or player of choice and subscribe directly on there, please, so you don't miss a single episode. As I said, one comes out every day and you can only get all those on the Vintage Rock Pod feed, so give it a like or a subscribe separately on there, please. Also, check out the YouTube channel where you can see all the wonderful guests I've interviewed over the years in video form on there. Now, today's interview is with a huge character, lead singer and founding member of 80s British prog rock group It Bites, I'm talking about Francis Dunnery. The band are best known for their top 10 hit here in the UK, calling all the heroes. Now, It Bites rose to fame in the mid-80s, releasing three albums before Francis left in 1990. He relocated to Los Angeles and has been very open about the drink and drugs problems that he faced with his lifestyle there. As well as It Bites, though, he's also worked with Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant, playing on record and being part of his touring band in the early 90s, and playing on Santana's 15 times platinum-selling album Supernatural, which was released in 1999. He's a man with a lot of tales to tell, believe me. But quickly before that, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's reached out following the last couple of shows. A great response in particular to the Mark Farner interview, episode 85, former lead singer with Grand Funk Railroad, of course. Great download numbers on that one. And a huge thanks, too, if you join in with the classic rock community that is really building on Vintage Rock Pod's YouTube channel. You can subscribe for free on there. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube. And every single day I post a classic rock poll Over a thousand votes are cast every single day, which is incredible. Loads of great comments and debates spring from it as well. And I give a shout out to lots of the craziest ones on a new weekly video that I put out, which recaps the weekly polls too. It's a lot of fun, so if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube. But back to Francis Dunnery then. In this interview with him, we hear about his love of prog from a really early age, which is quite strange. The working class upbringing. Some crazy stories about his mum making Ozzy Osbourne walk Francis to the school bus. Now this is Ozzy during Black Sabbath kind of days, not pre-fame Ozzy, because Ozzy was sleeping on their sofa at the time. Uh, we also talk about a crazy chance meeting with the pogues these uh, tough start in london being arrested it bites and its success his long-standing friendship with led zeppelin's robert plant plus his new love of blues and plans for new music that's on the way honestly there's loads in this it's a fascinating chat with a real deep thinker of a man so i hope you really enjoy this one so Francis, then you uh, you did some shows around the UK in January. You hit all the big markets, the kind of London, Glasgow, Manchester, that kind of thing. You were playing the best bits from the first three albums of It Bites. Now tell us about that. How did that go?
2: Well, it was amazing. It's you know, it's I, it, I mean, it started out as a bit of fun a few years ago where I I hadn't played them songs out live for a long time, and I said to my friend, let's you know, because I I said I'm going to go over and see my family and all that stuff, so I said let's do an It Bites tour and we'll uh we'll you know we'll do a few shows and and. Um, I enjoyed it that much that it's became like an annual event now. And so this one was the first time I started to get uh, a little bit more serious about it in terms of, um, you know, it's actually a viable thing now to keep doing this. I never really thought of it like an annual, you know, an annual thing, but it's definitely, it's definitely worth doing because I do enjoy it. And we get together, there's about 18 of us go on the road and we're just, you know, it's like hanging out. It's great. It's fantastic.
0: It does it sounds like a lot of fun and I don't know if you paid off a load of uh, music journalists or what but uh, the, every single review that I read and I did a lot for this research they all spewed praise for you and the band it was it
2: was a tremendous oh, night this that, and the other it was brilliant <laughs> reviews yeah I'll send you them then <laughs> Honestly good I mean, loads I've been in therapy for bad self-esteem for the last 50 years. If you send me the interviews.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll dig them out. I'll email them to you at the end. I'll I'll definitely do that. Uh, (laughs) Now, you've got an awful lot happening this year. New music, blues, DVD of said shows, all that sort of stuff. And we'll get into that soon. But I want to take you right back, if you don't mind, to to when you were a little bit younger, shall we say. Uh, And talk about a band that you loved when you were a little bit younger as well. Genesis. I've seen you mention the band a few times before. And and a big fan of Steve Hackett, who we've had on the show. As well, I mean, talk it's, to me about your love of the band.
2: Well, I, I, I mean, when I look at it now and I think about the complexity of the music, I mean, you've got to remember this is 1971, so I was nine. Wow, <laughs> and that's when I, fir- I first I remember hearing the musical box from Nursery Crime. I think my brother had it or something, and it, and blah 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 blah. those opening bars, and I thought, I don't know, dude, it was something. I it was almost like I recognized it. There was something about it, and I and and ironically, my brother was playing guitar for Ozzy Osbourne at the time, and so I had like access to Black Sabbath. So you would think I would be like into, and I was into Sabbath. You know, I liked Sabbath, but it was that Genesis thing because I didn't know what it was that was playing when I listened to Black Sabbath. I could hear the the guitar and the bass, but with the Genesis thing, I, I remember it wasn't so much confused as bewildered. It's like what the hell is that? Yeah, you know it was like this weird thing. I can't. I, it's it's such a hard thing to explain. But that the whole, I guess, the escapism of progressive rock. Because the thing with progressive rock, it, it you know, it has no. You know, there's no point to it. <laughs> there's actually it's pointless. I know that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but you know, it's actually you know things those songs like Harold the Barrel or. You know, even like with yes, or you know, tales yeah. from topographic ocean. There's no real point to the songs, whereas if you got into like, say, well, I guess Pink Floyd, if that's progressive rock, there's a point to that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of anti-war things and stuff on on the anti-government things on Pink Floyd, but a lot of progressive rock, you know, they they're making up their own animals, like they do doing that, you know. <laughs> and so it's kind of pointless. And uh, but the escapism of progressive rock is what I. And the fantasy or the 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 trigger of my imagination, I think that was what was hooked in from that very early Play Me Old King Cole musical box thing. I was just completely hooked by it. It was amazing.
0: And as you said, that's incredible for a nine-year-old and the complexity of that kind of music is just... I'll, I'll tell you what's
2: even weirder because all my friends, right, all my friends who were between nine and say 11 at that point, um, the Gully Flats, we lived on a housing estate called Gully Flats and we were known as the Gully Flats boys. And there was like maybe like 10 of us. Every one of them was into Genesis. <laughs> we were like 11. <laughs> we used to go and order that, there was like a little record store uh, in the town um, and we'd go and order them and sit there waiting for like Foxtrot to come. we would hear that. They've got a new album out, Foxtrot and we'd, we'd, we'd all buy it, you know, spend, it was like two quid or something. would save up our money and go and, and we'd wait for like six weeks for this f- album to come in. And then when we got it, we'd all sit round going, "Dude, listen to this!" You know, it was amazing,
0: <laughs> absolutely incredible. And uh, as we mentioned, Steve, Steve Hackett as well, phenomenal guitarist. Um, you've worked with him, didn't you? And you, you worked on the Genesis Revisited album. Yeah. You did.
2: Well, I mean, that's pretty weird. I mean, probably the weirdest time for me was when um, when I auditioned to sing for Genesis for the when 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 Phil left yeah. and. Um, that was very profound because quite frankly, see, I can't sing like Phil. I can do the Peter Gabriel thing real easy because I know it that well, but it's, I can't scream like Phil. And I knew I couldn't scream like Phil, but I, I just wanted to go and sing with Genesis, you know. <laughs> it was like, so I went there anyway. And um, that was the first time when it was, it was very profound because in, in life you get what you concentrate on. And so some thoughts take 40 years to come about. And so stay with Steve Hackett, who's a wonderful man. That's the important factor here. Not he's a wonderful musician. and all, That's sure he is, yeah. But he's a wonderful man. And that's, you know, when you meet people sometimes, I love Steve and Joe. And, and you can't really have Steve without Joe, his, his wife too, because they're kind of like, a, I call them the Hackett monster. They're like, <laughs> you know, they're like a, like they come as one, you know, it's like, a, it's a, it's the Hackett monster, you know, it's like, and um, but when Steve, you know, played guitar for me on playing my songs on the stage in my hometown. That's just a profound thing when you think of that. You, you know, I told him, I told Steve this many times. I said, dude, I was nine when you came into my house, dude. He was like, you know, and, and, you know, here you are in my hometown. It's like, you know, thought creates matter. So that thought and the intensity of that thought took, I guess, 50 years to come about, but it came about
0: it did, yeah. And tell us about that that situation then. And recording because, yeah, you recorded. Was it Dancing in the Moonlit Night? And I think that's my favorite Genesis song. Well, I can
2: sing all them easy, you know. Like, because I, 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 the the thing about Genesis that people misunderstand with the vocals is the phrasing, like it's the phrasing that's important. Peter Gabriel's phrasing, like you can't put blues in Genesis, otherwise it just it, you know it. it the, for me, it's a kind of, you know, like I, I study classical guitar, and you're not allowed to change those things until you can play them. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a certain kind of respect, even though it's a bit silly and all that, but there's a certain type of respect that, you know, people like Fernando Sor, who was around at the 16th century and he designed all that, he put the guitar on the map, basically you've got to respect him and play his parts. You don't have a right to change them. It's kind of taken like, it's taken like Beethoven's fifth symphony and going like, well, I'm going to put that in there and I'm going to add, you know, you you can't, you know, and Genesis were the same to me. And so I never felt, I never felt um, qualified to change the phrasing. You know what I mean? Like, like some people put blues yeah. in it. They start going, Wah! that, that's not, that's not what it is. It's like, if you're thinking it's that you've got the wrong idea of what it is. There's a, something very English, you know, English progressive rock is always comes from like folk music. You know, there's a folk, but where there's like American progress rock comes from metal. You know, there's a heavy metal thing to American prog, but the the real English um, prog rock there was always there was folk music in the back of it all the time, and you know, and it was it was completely English, like say Selling them by the Pound, and so those songs are easy for me to sing. You know, in terms because I I I know them so well, I I I. I I can't imagine there's anybody played those songs more than me. <laughs> I'm sure maybe there is, but I, I mean, it was just obsessive, you know, from, from nine years old.
0: Incredible. Incredible. And just quickly something you, you kind of mentioned in the throwaway comment there, your brother with, with uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, Ozzy used to sleep on your couch and things like that, didn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Ozzy. Yeah. Well, my brother was in a band called Necromandus and they were managed by Tony Iommi actually. And so I think when Ozzy left, it was around right about the time of Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I remember getting that album. I remember getting. He gave me Bill Ward's drumsticks. Ozzy brought me Bill Ward's drumsticks. <laughs> I used to play drums on the back of the couch. I had this like leather couch, and it sounded great. It was a great sound. You know, it was like the perfect snare sound yeah. you could get. And um, I got Bill Ward's drumsticks. Uh, uh I, like around right about the time of Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I, I remember that album. I think I think it was then when I told my friends Ozzy was at my house. They you know they all thought I was lying. You know, <laughs> and my mum dragged him out one morning. because the bus used to go, the, the bus shelter was be like uh, a, a part of the housing estate, but it used to have to go past my house in order to, you know, go down to the town. And so my mum dragged Ozzy out and he was like waving us all off to school, you know? <laughs> and my friends were like, dude. You know?
0: <laughs> crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Uh, and then on to it, it Bites then, I mean, the formation of the band and, and like you said, you're working and, and playing and around in clubs and those early days, you guys were were crazy to say the least, weren't you?
2: Well, we were pretty whacked out, like most northern Northerners back then. You know, we were like drinking and doing. I was saying, you know, we had—I uh, think me and John got busted for pot by the police, which was like a really big, you know, it was a shameful thing back then. We we got we got caught uh, smoking pot in Barrow Furnace and the police, you know, we had to go. I can't remember what they <laughs> fined us. It was like a few hundred quid or something, but it was like shameful, you know. It was like, oh my god, yeah. you know, because back then nobody smoked pot. Well, they did, but it, it was like a an underground clique of yeah. people. But no, we were definitely, you know, it's like, you know. I, I would look at bands like Guns N' Roses and you'd see all these like wild bands and I'd say, dude, if you spent one night with us, you wouldn't even, you, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't even believe it. It's, you know, the, we were like, dude, we were f- out of it. <laughs>
0: Incredible. Um, and then you guys, you headed down to London to try and carve the opening and, and thankfully Warner Brothers, uh, was it Martin Mayhead, he yeah. appeared when you were literally trying to get yourselves into the building. I mean, tell us
2: about that. Well, there's a bit of a ruckus at the. Th- I mean, see, I'm not really one to sit around. I, I you know, I, I, I've always had a, a spark of the. like, if there's no risk in it, it's not really worth it for me. So I'm always, I'm the front guy in Vietnam. I'm the f- guy at the front. I'm always that guy. And so I went down first. The rest of the band was still up at home and I, I, I went down and scoped it all out. And, um, I was living in a squat. I learned how to get a squat and I, you know, I learned a lot of stuff. I think I was only like 18 or something. And, um, I, remember I slept on Euston station for about six nights before I got a squat. So, I, uh, you know, but, um, it was so exciting though, you know, it was so incredibly exciting. And I remember a weird story as well on the way down, I was picked up, I swear to God. And you'd be able to find out when this was because the pogs, I think the pogs picked me up. <laughs> what Dude, the Pogs picked me up in their van
0: <laughs> Shane McGowan and company all them
2: guys the Bison and all them guys they all picked and Spider <laughs> and they took me to Lancaster University where they were supporting Elvis Costello that was the first time I met old Elvis oh wow and, um, <laughs> and then they dropped me off at Euston Station I remember that because they, I think they lived in Camden I think uh, I you know I, I I just fell asleep on the map, you know, on the floor and all that stuff like that. It was, you know, it's kind of like them night people, but it was exciting. It was amazing, exciting, and I learned how to get a squat, and I kicked the door in. I put my lock on the door. It was an old council building, and um, you know, just that that stuff. Just it was like caving you. The excitement was just overwhelming. It was amazing.
0: So what happened then? Then did the, the rest of the guys come and join you once you had that kind of thing set up? Yes, yeah,
2: so after about six, or, six to eight, maybe a year even but they came down and I was and then they got their squat a few doors away I said there's a squat there's an empty council apartment just a few doors down from me that um I think I lived at 46a and I think they were 52 I think it was like real close and um you know, they lived in this, and then they came down and lived in the squat. We used to send, do demo tapes every night on a cassette. We didn't realize that, you know, you had to have, it was Paul Morley who sent us a letter because we kept on waiting for these letters to come back. We'd send them off to record companies with a cassette in. And he said, and it was Paul Morley from ZTT, I think. And he said, dude, if you really want to get a rec- you're never going to get a record deal doing songs on a cassette. You got to go and do proper demos. And we were, like, devastated at that point because we'd been waiting for a year, sending these stuff off for, for, like, you know, six months to a year or something. And so we were, like, pretty down at that point. And then I said, you know what, let's just go in. And so we went, and the next day I went to, like, Warner Brothers, and nobody would let us in. We were, like, kind of fighting with the security guards and all that. <laughs> they were throwing us out, and we were, like, we just – and Martin Mayhead walked past and said, what the hell's going on? Because we were, like, shouting. You know, it was, like, some, like, these massive, like, guys, these security guys that would have killed us, and I was, like – you know, doing that uh, Northern thing. I'll kick your ass. I'm doing all that. And um, he took our tape. He said, I'll call you tomorrow if I liked it. And, and he said, call me tomorrow and I'll tell you if I liked it. And so we called him probably about three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, you know, and he said, yes. And that was it. You know, it was amazing. All exciting <laughs> stuff. Amazingly exciting. My God. I was gonna say it just sounds incredible, doesn't
0: it? I mean, uh, were you signed to? Was it Virgin that you signed to? It was a bunch yeah.
2: of a bunch of record companies wanted to sign us, but Virgin, you know, they were the hip. You know, they had like Japan, and they had like even back then like yeah. Simple Minds, and like it, actually, actually, they had Genesis and Peter Gabriel, and so it was a no-brainer for us. It's like we just want to be on the same as you know <laughs> Japan and Blue Nile. <laughs> they fantastic. had the Blue Nile. Like we loved all them bands, yeah. so they're all them bands that we loved.
0: Yeah, great band. I love the Blue Nile myself. Um, and then uh, the yeah. Big Lad and the Windmill, the first album, years of gigging, all that sort of stuff. And you, you got yourself in the studio, and you're recording this, and you're putting it down after all that time with the demos and trying to get the deal. And blah blah. blah. How did that feel then, when you were in yeah. there, knowing you're recording your first bit of music, you're going to put something out proper?
2: It's like we, you know, we weren't thinking about it like that. It was just, it's kind of like somebody asking you about something that. You're in, you know, you're just in it. You you know, you're not really thinking about what is it like. In hindsight, it was like, yeah, you know, when we were completely clueless, we didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, when I look back, but we didn't know that we thought we were kind of, you know, we knew what was going on, but we actually didn't have a clue. We were just very naive kids from um from the north of england you know we did we you know we had no college background you know yeah. we'd hear about these bands going to college and all this all these art students and Morrissey, you know with oscar wilde and like we we didn't know any of that so in terms too. of we the songs like, thing you
0: know, that came around in this first album i mean we were, like, were these songs that you, you'd been working on for years or was it something that kind of came towards the, the time of recording
2: well when we were in the squat when we were in the squat when we moved to london probably about six months to a year maybe maybe more maybe maybe 18 months some of them were there you know but you know, we, I mean,
0: and what was the? Insp- what? I was going to say, what was the inspiration behind the, that kind of music? Was it the lifestyle you were living, the the, the environment you were in, that kind of thing?
2: I think, you know, as far as the music went, we we actually never ever thought about being commercially successful. We we had heroes like Alan Holdsworth and Soft Machine and Marvishnu Orchestra and Genesis and Yes and like you know um, Isotope, even like you know Alex Harvey. We had you know there's all these bands that we focus. Deep Purple, even like all, all these bands that we would listen to. And we just wanted to do that because we just, we were so into it. You know, we just thought like that's all we wanted to do. We, we you know, we didn't think we we're going to have hit records or anything. We just, we didn't even know you had to have hit records. You know, you had to have hit <laughs> records, otherwise you'd get dropped. We, we just completely loved the music we were doing. We would, we would go to rehearsals. And um, we'd, rec- we'd rehearse all day. We were there at 10 o'clock in the morning. We were the last out, first in and last out, and we rehearse all day long. We were- and we were amazing at that point. We were so tight, you know, as a band. Um, we were, I think, like 20 or 21 or something at this point, and we were just incredibly tight as a band, like unbelievably rehearsed. And we'd, we'd record all day long, writing these songs in the studio, in the rehearsal rooms, and we'd record them on a cassette, and then we'd go home, and then we'd get stoned And drink, and then we'd forgot what the songs went like. So when we put them on, it was like some of the band that we'd done them. And that's how we used to judge (laughs) if we liked them or not. It's like, oh, that's cool, that's great, you know, because we'd forgot what it was like. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, you're talking about um, not thinking about commercially successful and that sort of stuff, but we do have to talk about the, the commercially successful hit. I mean, calling all the yeah, heroes. Yeah, thank God for hit.
2: that song. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Indeed. So, so tell us a bit about that one then. What, what was the what was the inspiration behind that one? Hey, we
2: were just, you know, making up stories about, you know, it was like good and evil and all that. So, you know, it, there was like, there's basic themes behind it. And you just, you know, everything's got basic themes, archetypal themes. You know, if you look at, like, say, The Beauty and the Beast, it's the same story as Jekyll and Hyde. It's the same story as Jesus and Satan. It's the same story as Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. And, I I, I, I mean, I, we were just stoned, dude. We were just like, you know, that's – I don't I, – people say, what was it about? I don't know. I mean, it's it's dressed up as some, like, cowboy story, I think. I I, I don't know. I actually don't know. <laughs> but I think but, – but it, but it was um, – but it's archetypal because a lot of the times you don't know what you're writing. You know, when I look at songs like Kiss Like Judas, I mean, it was a story about the hunchback of Notre Dame. But in hindsight, it's a picture of, it's a, it's a story about my own self-esteem at the time, I think. Okay. You know, so you're always writing. You can't help but write about your own, you know. Uh, 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 in every story, there's a secret story behind it. So if you look at something like the, uh, Snow White, you know, the queen looks in the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, you are. And the queen's all happy. And then the young girl comes along, uh, Snow White, and now the queen's furious because she's not the fairest of them all. And she tries to kill Snow White. We know that from Disney, but the real story of Snow White is the story of a middle-aged mother's jealousy of her adolescent daughter coming into puberty. Do you see what, you know, you see what that is? And and now the guy who wrote it didn't sit down and go, I'm going to write a story about a middle-aged mother's jealousy. He just wrote Snow White, but contained in every so- story we describe ourselves. We, like if, you, if I said to you, uh, write me a story, you couldn't help but write about human behavior. No matter what you wrote Well, I spoke to Francis and we da-da-da-da-da, you could not help but write about your own life. Oh, oh, sorry, about human, human life, you know, human behavior. So when you look at things like Calling All the Heroes or Kiss Like Judas or any of the songs that I've written, when I look back uh and um of even of my solo career and I look back, there's an initial story, but there's another story there. That's mm-hmm. what that's what I think is interesting, you know. Is that like any really. sense at all? Is that like? <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it does. It absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in terms of the, the hits and things like that, then I mean, what do you what do you think? Look, listening back to or playing the, those sort of songs live now, like to have kiss like Judas and
2: calling all the heroes. Oh, I think they're fantastic songs. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think it. I think we did great. The four. Of, I mean, four of us. We wrote. Some of the I thought we wrote great songs. It's just that we didn't know about business and marketing and stuff like that. We didn't know anything about that, and there was nobody in our setup who was business savvy enough. And uh, and of course, I was you know a, an obnoxious lunatic you know back then. So you know we, you put all them things together. I'm surprised we even had a one you know a hit song at all. You know we just weren't interested in it, and we were nuts. We're absolutely you know, and we were just you know we definitely weren't focused on having success. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. So, you know, it's like we were focused on being like John, you know, John McLaughlin or yeah. we were, we were focused on being the best band out there. And of course that like, we were, there was nobody messing with us in terms of like, you know, what we were doing at that age, you know, we're only 21 or something. We were serious, dude, some serious stuff. And what we also had, you know, it wasn't just kind of self-indulgent, Nonsense. Like there was some really good songs there and beautiful melodies. And, yeah. ve- you know, it was very feminine in a weird way. You know, it was feminine, like 10 CC is feminine or the Beatles, you know, the, the, the like if the stones are masculine, just that bluesy type masculine music, the Beatles are very feminine, very intri- intricate. And it bites. We had this, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, as well as being able to tear your head off, we could also rock your baby to sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's some beautiful moments there as well. So, I thought, I, I mean, I, I thought it bites. I thought we were fantastic. I really do. I love, I love the guys. I think, I mean, I, I did some of the best work, you know, in my life with them guys, you know, just the sheer, you know, the complexity and, and you know, just amazing. Seriously.
0: So is there any regrets looking back now? Obviously the band didn't last uh, too long in terms of number of albums released because of, of year issues and things like that. Is there any regrets looking back on things like that now?
2: No, 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 the guy I love the all love all of them. It's just you know it's like if you, i I don't think it's possible you know when you're a songwriter like myself, you can't really be in a democratic band at some point, you know, I think it was Sting that said it. He said you can't you know you've got you've got a you've got a way you know i have a I have a real big vision when I do my own projects about what I want it to be, and if people can compliment that, that's great, but if people just don't see your vision. You know, and, uh, you know, if I go into a band and somebody, you know, I've, been, I've, I've, I've actually been in bands before and they've asked me to leave because I had the wrong vision.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, it was a dif- different vision, you know, it's just, and, and that's not wrong or anything. That's just kind of, um, that's just how it is. So, but, so it isn't, I, I think, I think, um, and, and you know what I love about the band because we were so, it was so difficult for us because everybody in the music industry was 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 against the style of music we did, and we we hung in there for as long as we could. It was like it's like being in a relationship with a girl, and then their parents said, "You shouldn't be with him. You shouldn't be with him. You should every single day. You have to really fight," and eventually the pressure of not having a hit, the pressure of not being this or not being that or not being you know, not being bon, jo- bon Jovi, of not having big hair, of not like all the things that the, that the music industry is, which is really just marketing an image. It's got nothing to do with music in the same way that Jesus has got nothing to do with Christianity. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's got, it, it, like if you want to be in, successful, you've got to just have a shtick. <laughs> Alan Holdsworth is a genius. Slash has got that hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very true. Nobody told us this. If somebody had told us this, we could have done it a lot better. We could have worked the system yep. and done it a lot better. But um, but we, we just got wore down with negativity. Everybody was negative against us. They said what we were doing wasn't good. Everybody was just against us all the time, you know. Just basically saying we we weren't good enough. We weren't good. Actually, it was them that weren't good enough—the management or the record company—or didn't have a clue what to do with us. That's not really our job mm-hmm. to market us ourselves or to you know put it this way. If me today managed it bites back then, it bites would have been bigger than anybody, you know, because I would have known how to, I would know what to do with us. Yeah, you know, real
0: shame. Real shame. But on the back of that, you did manage to, to work with some incredible people uh, following that. And one I'd like to talk on is uh, uh, Robert Plant. I mean, Led Zeppelin legend and all that sort of stuff. You're still friends yeah. with him. And tell me oh how all that God, came about. Yeah. How did you first meet up and and go on the road with him?
2: I think it was, it by supported Robert once and I kind of, um, I actually dated his daughter. So <laughs> that's how I got to know him real personally like that. But me and Robert have always had a great relationship. We've always got along really, really well. And I love him, man. I absolutely love him. He's one of the smartest people I know. He's also one of the funniest people I know. And he, he's actually brilliant, Robert. I, I absolutely love him. I really do. He's just, you know, and he knows, see, he's, he's you know, he's a, he's always took risks. You know, everybody just falls back into what they did in their heyday. You know, that, that's what, that's the simple thing to do. Oh, well, we had a hit in the eighties with this. Let's just do that again and again and again and again. Robert didn't do that. He went like, look, I know I was in the biggest band in the world ever. But I'm going to do an album with this girl called, you know, th- this country, you know, and she can teach me to sing. I mean, how humble do you have to be to say that? She's going to teach me to sing. She's Robert Plant. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? And I love yeah. that. I love that about humans who, it's like people like Willie Nelson and, um, you know, it, it's that lot that I love. Them people who, who you know, Willie goes and plays a coffee shop, stoned, and then he goes and does Madison Square Garden, <laughs> Three Nights in the Trot, and he doesn't give a damn. That, Part of Robert, I just, I absolutely love him, man. Like he's, he's, he's definitely, you know, I mean, it's hard for him to hold a relationship with anybody. That's what I think people get upset when, when you play guitar with Robert, you're on like a two to three year cycle at, 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 at most. And then you just got to let him go because he doesn't want to do that anymore. And some people get angry or they think he's angry at them or he doesn't like. No, he just wants to do another thing. He's interested in new stuff and he loves new stuff. And so leave him alone. <laughs> Have you got any, any standout memories from your time with him? Oh, there's so many. I can't even tell. We I mean, just, he's just, he's just, a, he's, I, I can't speak highly enough of Robert. Robert, uh, and I, I wasn't a Led Zeppelin fan either. You know, okay. I'm, I was, I'm, I'm a, you know, I mean, I loved physical graffiti. I was definitely a physical graffiti fan, but it's only recently that I've really started getting to the blues end of uh, Led Zeppelin. You know, and I listened to what Jimmy did, you know, but the, the, you know, the concept of Robert as just a human, I, I'm, as a human being, you know, he's he's a very, just a very, uh, you know, when you walk around with Robert, you, you don't really understand what it's like. I mean, we would get off a plane in Venezuela and there's like thousands of people at the airport and like everywhere, you know, it's, it's not really so much like that now. But when I was with him, it was, it was, you know, it, it was like, he had armed guards in America. Like, you know, it's insane, like how big they were. You don't understand.
0: Absolutely phenomenal. And as you said there, it was, it was probably him that turned you onto the blues, wasn't it? And then well, that leads us on to Tombstone Dunnery. Um, first of all, the name, yeah. I mean, it came about because, uh, was it a hat that you were wearing? Was that right?
2: It was a long time. It was actually a long time ago. When I first came to do my uh, my first solo album and... I didn't want to be a Francis Dunry. I wanted to be in a band because I, I'm definitely, I'm a band guy, but, you know, even though I'm, I can be quite a boisterous, you know, type of energy. Uh, in actual fact, I'm very quiet in a band. I can just sit, like, that's what I love when I play with Robert. I can just go in the, I can do, yeah. you know, when I do, when he when comes to do our charity event, I can just play the acoustic. I don't need to be like the guy, you know, I like to, I'm I'm very, very effective in a band. I can do you know, I mean, p- people wouldn't think that, but I am. I'm very quiet and I'm very kind of functional. You know what I mean? I'm I'm just, I let the league guys do their thing. You know, it's nothing yeah. to do. I just do what I'm told basically. But um, back in the day, uh, I think it was Steve Barnett, who was ACDC's manager. And uh, I walked in, I had a big, I had a big uh, black hat on, Um, a big black jacket, like uh, a big black uh, overcoat. <laughs> And I, I can't remember what it was that they said, uh, we, and we talked about having the name of the band, um, the Tombstone dunnery. That's how it started out. Like what you leave behind. That was what it was. Yeah. So that was the, and then we, we used to laugh because we took the, the off. Right. They, and so they started calling me Tombstone for a laugh because I had that black <laughs> jacket on it. And, um, and Steve Barnett said, that's the coolest blues name that's ever been in the history of blues names. Tombstone Donnery. Right. And when I came to do my blues project, I thought Tombstone Donnery. Yeah. Perfect.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Perfect. Now tell us about the, the project then. Tell us, cause you, as I said, you, you toured, didn't you? You did all original material <laughs> and I think you've got, um, set for a new record as well released this year. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I'll be recording it. I'm mixing a, a DVD right now, but I'll, I'll record it in like the next week or two, and I'll just, we'll do that. Um, the blues, you know, the blues is a deep thing. It's like you know, it's it's you know, it's not what I thought it was all them years. When I'm thinking about it, you know, when you it's a deep thing, it's actually a real deep thing. First of all, it's an acceptable way for a man to cry, <laughs> like like without being. It's not wussy if you cry with the blues, and so it's a it's very masculine. And, um, but the, you know, the, like, wh- like when you listen to music, you have to find why it's good. Yeah. There's like certain styles of music. You can go like, well, what, you know, somebody will say to me, oh, that Genesis, it's crap. I can tell you it isn't like, there's definitely something in it, but the person who doesn't can't be bothered or can't hear it or whatever, they'll dismiss it as nonsense the same as people like prog guys might go, "Oh, the Rolling Stones are just bloody." No, they're not. They're f- way cool, The Stones do. They've got a whole thing going. So you have to put yourself in a position where you can actually understand what's good about what that thing is. And so when I started to get into the blues, and and it was Robert used to tell me all the time about, um, you know, Albert King and like and all these, you know, uh, Howling Wolf and like, oh, like you don't, you think it's just a twelve-bar blues? It isn't. Mm-hmm. It's a really deep thing. It's like, it's, it's intense. And you, you know, to, you know, when you listen to like BB King and people like that, the application that they have and the, and uh, of, of that music, first of all, it's astonishingly difficult to do authentically. Cause it's not a, it's not a thought. It's a feeling, the blues, the blues, you've got to be in it. You've got to be present to play the blues. Like when you look at Albert King playing his guitar, he's he's just, he's not making shapes. Like he's absolutely because because I know myself if I'm just making shapes or oh, then I can sometimes I can be in it I'm actually in it it's like oh my god it's a, there's a yeah. big difference you know uh, um, you know you know you know one of them is a pretend synthetic thing and the other one is like you're really playing now you know most guitar players learn what they're gonna play and just play the same shit every night you yeah. know they know what they're gonna play but there's people like Frank Zappa or, or modes of the blues guys they're just they're <laughs> playing they're you know, they're, they're putting themselves in the, it's not so much how many notes they're playing. It's what they're, you know, what they're feeling, you know, yeah, I, living, it's hard to yeah. explain, but it, it was a real eye opener for me when I started to get deeply into the blues. I was like, I mean, that's all I do. I play blues 24 seven now. I, I you know, there's a, yeah, and I, and I, and I know this sounds terribly racist, but I tend to play the black guys playing the blues, the old black guys, which I just, there's something more authentic to me when I listen to If I listen to Howling Wolf and then I listen to Captain Beefheart, who's basically ripping off Howling Wolf, he's like the white version of Howling Wolf, there's no comparison in the depth of what it is. One of them's synthetic. There was something, you know,
0: Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you come up with that because I do like a bit of the blues myself. But speaking of new music, by the end of the year, we'll hopefully have a new album from uh, the Francis Donnery It Bites too, yeah. as well. I mean, where are you with that project?
2: Oh, there's some cool stuff. Yeah, no, that's going on as well. The Tombstone stuff I've been working on now for a while, so it shouldn't take long to record. As soon as I get that done. So the album should be out in May, I think, May, June. And then I'll, I'll work on the It Bites stuff. And, and uh, we want that out for either Christmas or January of next year. Lovely. And that's going to be, again, we're not doing a lot of music. We want to put it down to 45 minutes, 40 minutes. I don't want to do a massive album. It's going to be 40 minutes of, uh, I want it to go on vinyl. And, um, so it isn't going to be like my last album, my my solo album I did was like three CDs long. I wanted to just clear the decks. I get all them ideas. that has been sitting around for years to clear the decks. And, um, but you know, it frees you up to let go of the past, just let it go. Yeah. And so you can open your eyes to like a new future and all the possibilities that you can do. The It Bites stuff, I've got about four songs written. I, I need about another three or four, probably another four. And then that's it. You know, and then we'll just, you know, we'll, it's in It Bites style. It's a different thing than Tombstone. But I was going
0: to say that. Was, obviously you're doing different genres and things. So it, it, will it be, um, for an It Bites fan, will it sound like It Bites? it sounds sound when exactly like It Bites. Perfect.
2: You know, like it. I mean, it, you got to remember, it bites. We never sounded the same. We had we had different picture frames for every album, mm-hmm. but there was the same essence in the whole yeah. thing of it. You know what I mean? So this will be a different picture frame. Like it means Saint Louis isn't like once around the world, but the essence inside of the the picture that's inside of it it's it's recognisable. It's the same essence. But so I will change the picture frame. But you'll definitely recognise the essence that's in it. Like it's, it'll be it bites music with the harmonies and the the, the type of melodies that it bites. Yeah. You know we always had, and um, you know it won't. I'm not going to like listen to it bites and go. We've got to do a song like that. No, 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 it'll be new stuff. That's that was the thing about it bites. We weren't frightened to go yes. and do new things or try new things. So it'll be a brand new experience. But it will definitely have that essence because when I write from an it bites perspective like that, um, you know, there's a way to think melodically like it's a it's like the blues it's like when you go and play the blues it's like it, it's like you 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 are humble enough to recognize the the melodic perimeters that you're in and it bites is the same it's far more you know it's 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 uh very industrious the melodies in it bites as you know but there's there's a there's a i wouldn't say a template but there's a, you know there's a kind of room that you operate within and, and, and you know and uh, like I, I know what that room is. you know what I mean good
0: well it's been a fascinating chat with you Francis Um, you've got so much coming up as we said the the two different bits of music you're working on the the DVDs from the live shows all that sort of stuff if people want to keep in touch with what you're doing and what's being put out I mean what's the best way to follow you
2: Um, I think well probably my website I don't update you know I'm kind of I don't know I, I mean, there's, there's like there's like social media going there sometimes. My Patreon page is the best. There's the, the, if people go to Francis Dunry Patreon, that's always the best thing because we have some fascinating discussions on there from philosophy to, um, I'm going to be doing It Bites classes, actually. It Bites guitar classes. I've already got classical guitar lessons on there. There's a whole gamut of things on there that's fascinating. And um, we have concerts all the time, acoustic concerts. You know, it's a, it's a good thing to have. It's like 10 bucks a month. And you're supporting an artist. You know, you're supporting you know an old uh, an an old catholic boy yeah I'm, I'm not really i'm i'm not uh, and um you know we're doing astrology a bit of satanism and stuff like that you know we're doing all that that's my that's mother funny. said I, I my mother said i was going to i she said i was in league with the devil when i started the <laughs> astrology <Yeah. laughs> I thought, you know man, maybe you're right Maybe you're right.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. Uh, So yeah, check out Francis Dunnery on Patreon to, to keep in touch with everything that he's doing and all the wonderful things that it sounds like Francis is doing on there. Francis, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today and I thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, my brother. Thank you so much.
0: And a big thanks to the wonderful Francis Dunnery there. Such a nice bloke and someone with a million stories to tell. Keep an eye out for the new music in all its forms that's going to be coming your way in the coming months. So that's it for me and this week's big interview show. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app so that you get all the episodes that are released every single day. And look for the Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube as well. Check out all the videos that I post from these interviews, some bits that don't even make the full interview on podcasts, so it's well worth it. And other fun bits too, like the daily classic rock poll that gets more than a 1,000 votes every single day. Loads of great discussion and everything else on there, so please check it out. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with another This Day Rocks episode. So until then, take care.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.